Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This episode of Figuring Out 30 is brought to you by the Spoonie Society. No, Daisy. <sighs> okay, redo. Daisy! <laughs> this episode of Figuring Out 30 is brought to you by the Spoonie Society. Making a change in the lives of those with chronic illness. Hello, welcome to Figuring Out 30. I'm Bridget Hustwaite and I am coming to you from my bedroom because my dog, I can't say her name because if I say her name, it will trigger her to be active and noisy and sniffy again. She's been hovering around the microphone. We were in the second room trying to record this and um, she wanted to take the microphone off me. So my child is sitting on the bed with me and I just need to punch out this episode. <laughs> it is all about endometriosis as well, today's episode, because March is Endo Awareness Month. And yeah, I'm very vocal about this chronic condition. I was diagnosed with it back in 2018. I've got a best-selling book on it. It's called How to Endo. And it actually just turned two. It just celebrated its second birthday. And I've yeah appeared on heaps of podcasts and radio stations and segments to talk about endo. There's been blog posts, feature articles that I've penned. Um, but I'm keen to just sit back with you on my podcast platform and talk a bit more candidly about, you know, what life is like with endo and how I'm currently managing it and things that I want people to know about endo because, yeah, it's obviously very common. Like one in nine Australians have this chronic condition. It's just as common as asthma and diabetes. But unfortunately, there is so much misinformation out there. There's a really low standard of care, I would say. And Honestly, Endo Awareness Month can be really triggering too because it just reminds so many of us like how much work still needs to be done. I am honestly so over talking about endo at this current point in my life because I feel like I've just done it so much since being diagnosed. Um, but I did want to do an episode because I know that this will help some people and, you know, so many people listen to podcasts now. So if you can't read my book um, and you want to like, you know, pass this on to someone so they can kind of understand what endo is like. You can just literally flick this over to them. Here's an episode, Bridget, talking about endo. Um, I want to try and talk about it in a really casual, relatable, digestible manner because talking about medical stuff can be really boring and it can be really confusing and endo is really fucking confusing. But um, yeah, there's a lot to unpack and I'm just going to try and do it in a chill way that makes it a little bit easy to listen to. I'm literally just sitting on my bed um, recording this, chatting to you. So hopefully it comes across as a, you know, just a chat from friend to friend. I feel like I may go a little ranty because the whole system is cooked. Um, but look, we'll get into it in a second. Let's do a little catch up on the week that was another busy week in my life. I saw Ed Sheeran. That's the first thing that comes to mind. Did you know, side note, 
that Triple J were actually the first to play at Sheeran in Australia. Mm. I remember very vividly, I was driving to Melbourne from Ballarat and I was in my little Mazda 323 and actually broke down on the drive home um, and Kingsmill was playing Ed. And I'm a big fan of Ed's earlier stuff, but I've never seen him live. And I, gosh, I can totally understand now how he can sell out two MCGs. Um, It was a really awesome show. We had great seats, but I, I think everyone who went to these shows would have had a good a good seat because the stage was like a round one. It was like a lazy Susan, literally just like rotating around. Um, and there's also a giant screen ring that was like suspended above. And also these giant screens in the shape of a guitar pick. They were really cool. I loved looking at them. Um, oh, and also me and Oscar had the best chicken burger at the MCG. What the hell? Like I've never had such a delicious burger at a stadium. It absolutely slayed. But anyway, Burger Slade, Ed Slade, really great show. Um, Also popped into For the Love Festival that was down St Kilda Way. (sighs) I hate trekking to St Kilda. I'm just going to say it. I live in Brunswick West, man. Like trekking from Southside, trekking from Northside rather to Southside is always always such a mission. It's like two different worlds. Um, And that crowd was extremely not my scene, but I just wanted to see Charlie XCX and she was amazing. I love the choreography that she has going on. She's got two dancers, but she's in on the action as well. It was a really good performance worth trekking to St. Kilda for. (laughs) I don't hate St. Kilda. It's just not my, it's not my place. But anyway, Charlie was great. And I also saw Maisie Peters, her sideshow, which again, oh my God, I went to St. Kilda twice over the weekend. (laughs) Who is she? But yeah, she played at the Prince Band Room in St. Kilda. She brought Greta Ray out for Drive, which was so iconic. And Ed Sheeran was actually there too. He was watching from the side of stage. But I don't think anyone noticed. Like I posted a video on my TikTok that started with, it was a pretty sneaky view of Ed um, and then panned over to the stage of Greta and Maisie doing Drive. And it's going off right now. Like so many people who were at the show watch this video and they're like, oh my God, I had no idea Ed was there. But he was, you know, just keeping to himself in the in the corner uh, you not everyone in the room would have seen him. I was just close to him, so I saw him. But yeah, I really wanted to capture him watching Greta because we all know I love Greta, and that's just like such a cool moment for her. I'm literally like at that gig, especially like Chris Jenner in the Thank You Next music video, just with a camera trying to get all the shots for Greta. <laughs> um, what else happened? I ate a jar of Nutella. Oh, and I also <laughs> ate a jar of Nutella, and then I went to the gym again for the first time in like eight months. I've been really lazy with it, like really dropped the ball on my fitness lately. I'll be the first to admit it. I was doing like a bit of reformer Pilates and hot mat, but then I kind of just stopped towards the end of last year. And I've been in the slump, you know, the slump that you get in and you just, what is so hard is getting in your gym gear and actually going. It's always getting started. That is the hardest thing. But I, you know, got up and I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Lorna Jane just sent me this cute new outfit, this new gym set, and I'm going to go to the gym. And I did. I'm so proud I got off my ass. I just need to kind of hold on to like how good that post gym feeling is and use that as my motivation because going to the gym, especially in 2021, like when I was going through my breakup and going through like four lockdowns in Melbourne, when the gym was open between lockdowns, I guess, that was my thing. Like that kept me happy. That kept me sane. So I need to kind of have that kind of relationship with the gym again, where like 
I, I wake up wanting to go every day because I know it makes me feel happy. So fingers crossed, hold me accountable. <laughs> um, my bridgey pick for you this week is actually going to be a list of resources for endo. So I will go through them at the end of this podcast episode, but I guess we should get into it. So let's chat endometriosis. All right. So consider this a crash course, if you will. Endo is super complex. It's super confusing, but I just want to, as I said before, make it as chill, as simple as possible. And yeah, I want it to be of comfort to those who have it or those who are seeking a diagnosis, but I do really want this to be an episode that loved ones of people with endo can listen to for a better understanding. So again, if you've got endo and you're struggling with how to explain it, or like you just feel like it's not getting through to someone in your life, and maybe they're someone who's listened to me on the radio or they follow me, just send them this podcast. I'm chatting to them right now. I got you covered. Let's talk endo. So first things first, what the freaking heck is endometriosis? So by definition, it is a chronic condition that has no known cause or cure. And it's when tissue that is similar to the lining of the uterus, which we call the endometrium, grows outside of the uterus. So this can cause a lot of pain and inflammation, and it can cause organs to stick together. It also causes a range of symptoms, which I'll go through in a minute, Um, but it is super important to note that endometriosis is not the endometrium, okay, because it's not a disease of the uterus. There is pathological biochemical differences between the tissue that is the endometrium and endometriosis tissue that is similar to the endometrium. Endometriosis has actually been found in every major organ of the body. And I know a lot of people who've had it removed from all sorts of places, like their diaphragm. I mean, I had it removed from my bowel and my bladder. Um, People with endo have been, you know, receiving incorrect and in some cases really harmful treatments based on the false idea that endo is the endometrium. Okay. So when we talk about the definition, when you Google endometriosis, it comes up saying that it's the lining of the uterus. It's not. Endometriosis is not the endometrium. I want you to remember that because, it, yeah, as I mentioned, it really, like the definition and how people define it, this is what makes tr- getting treatment so hard because people think it's got to do with our periods and it's just of the uterus and all of this, but it's not. It's not, it's not, it's not. A hysterectomy, you know, drug therapy, those things do not cure endo. Endo does not exist within the uterus. So by removing the uterus, you know, a hysterectomy, you're not removing endo. But there is another condition which is called adenomyosis. It's kind of like the crazy cousin of endo. That occurs within the walls of the uterus. So a hysterectomy does cure that, but a hysterectomy doesn't cure endo. In terms of drug therapy, well, I mean, look, this can open a can of worms and I just don't have the time or capacity to go through it. And the resources that I'll give you at the end of this episode will have the information that you can like seek about this aspect of endo. But in terms of drug therapy and especially in terms of like contraceptive items like the pill or the IUD, people are often told that will prevent growth of endo, but it's not true. Those things may help with managing symptoms, but it's like a Band-Aid, okay? Symptom management is different to disease management. And this isn't to shame anyone who uses, you know, birth control 
to manage their symptoms because if it works for you, it works for you. Unfortunately for me, I had the IUD and it actually made my pain worse, so I got it removed. But I do know people who are on these things that it helps with managing their symptoms. It's just important to know that it doesn't do anything to prevent growth of endo. Okay, so you by all means, if you want to go on those things to help with managing symptoms, that's fine. But this is about like true informed consent because so many professionals in the medical field, GPs, gynecologists, they will tell you that these things will prevent growth. Even on my surgery notes of my first surgery, it says my IUD will prevent endo growth. This is not true. It's not true. And again, if you want to dive deeper, the resources at the end of this episode and in the show notes will give you more detailed information about that. But I'm just giving you the facts as a heads up and yeah, you can dive into that more if you want to. Endo affects one in nine Australians and about 190 million people worldwide. So it's a fucking lot of people. As I mentioned before, it's just as common as asthma and diabetes. The thing is endo doesn't just affect women. There have been rare cases found in cisgender men and, of course, non-binary and transgender people can have endometriosis. Endo is not a women's health issue. It's not simply a reproductive issue, although up to 50% of people with endo do experience infertility, but it's a whole body disease. As I said before, it has been found in every major organ of the body. So we got to stop talking about it like it's just a thing of the uterus because it's not. It's literally factually not true. And the reason why endo gets thrown into the women's health category, I would say is mostly because painful periods, it can be a common symptom, but it's not the only symptom and it's not the only defining symptom. There are people with endo who don't even have bad periods. But there are so many other red flags of this disease, like pain during sex, pain whilst peeing or pooping, um, lower back pain, fatigue, bloating, or we call it endo belly, infertility, as I said before, that's just a few of the symptoms, right? But it's not just a bad period. In fact, it has nothing to do with our period. There's one theory that's so dated, it's from like the 1920s or some shit, and it's been proven to be, you know, not true. It's been proven to be false. It's about retrograde menstruation and about like the period blood flowing back into the uterus or some shit. And the thing is endo produces its own estrogen. Now, one of the resources that I'm going to give you at the end, I'll give you a heads up now. It's called Endo Girls Blog. It's an Instagram account. They go deep on this. And for the record, if you think that I'm being weird by talking about how it's not just a women's health issue, but I'm referring a platform called Endo Girls Blog, it's called that because two girls with endo started it. They are so inclusive with their information and their facts and their language. So I highly recommend going, checking it out. It's two American girls that run the account, Endo Girls Blog. They have been one of the most influential resources for me as an endo advocate. And yeah, link is in the show notes of the episode, among others. But let's keep going back into it, right? So the average time in which it takes for someone to get an endo diagnosis, it ranges Apparently in Australia, the average is like six and a half years, but the worldwide average is kind of between seven and 12. And for me, it took 12 years to get my diagnosis. My diagnosis, as I mentioned, was in 2018, but I went and saw a doctor for the first time, uh, I guess about my period pain in, in 2005, 2006. It was like when I was in year nine or 10. Um, 
because my period pain was not normal. Like I have a twin sister, I've got an older sister and what I was experiencing was not what they were experiencing and my mum was worried. I was getting like heavy periods uh, where I'd constantly bleed through pads through my undies, sometimes through my boxer shorts underneath my school dress. I would, you know, leak through to my bed sheets and the pain was really dull and achy and just yuck. I just felt awful whenever I'd have my period. So for me personally, my first symptom and my main symptom is a bad period. But again, it doesn't happen for everyone with endo. So go to the doctor with my mum and I'm told to go on the pill. It was a very generic consultation. I didn't learn about endo in school. I didn't even know it existed. I didn't know the word (laughs) existed. People weren't talking about in the media when I was growing up, when I was going through high school in the mid noughties. So I just went on the pill and, you know, it didn't actually do anything to help like it. Yeah, it stopped bleeding, but I still got those crampy aches and everything. As the years went by, I started getting other symptoms that at the time I didn't think to link all together because, again, I didn't know endo was a thing. So when I started having sex when I was 18, that was like really painful. I knew it would be painful, but I didn't think it'd be that painful. So that was one. Another one was pain whilst taking a dump, (laughs) painful poops. You know, that's been a a long-time symptom for me. Didn't know it was linked to endo. Uh, Then I started getting abdominal cramping every now and then, really random but really painful. Like that was kind of from like 2011 onwards. Um, That is also a symptom of endo. So I was getting all these things and I didn't think to link them together. It's literally only since I've been diagnosed and I've taken it upon myself to learn more about the disease that I've realized that all of these symptoms are because of my endometriosis. So I'm going to quickly fast forward 2017. Oh, do you know what? We'll go a little bit before that. So I was going to a doctor like every couple of years, like about my period pain and wasn't getting anywhere. And I just kind of be like, whatever, I'll just deal with it. But then something would happen where I'm like, this is actually fucked. Like, I know it's not normal. I need to see someone else about this. And then I remember I was working as a travel agent and I was referred to see a gynecologist, but I couldn't even afford the consult fee. It was literally like, are you going to pay to see a gyno or are you going to get groceries this week? So I kind of put that off. 2017, I was about to go overseas and I booked in for a pap smear and my pain was getting bad again in terms of my period. So I booked in to see a female GP in Ballarat that was actually recommended by a few friends and a bunch of people on like Facebook from from Ballarat. So I go see this GP and I'm telling her about my symptoms and she doesn't want a bar of me. Like she's not even looking at me. She's just, her body language was cold as hell And just based on what I told her, she decided that she didn't believe me and literally said, you don't have endo, others have it worse than you. And I've never had such a terrible experience with a medical professional. I was absolutely gobsmacked. And she didn't even do my pap smear either. Like I had booked in extra time for the pap smear, but she was like, we'll do that, you know, next time. And I asked for a referral to a gynecologist and she was like, I don't think you need to see one. And I had to like really push for it. And she's like, well, I don't think you need it, but here it is. And just handed me the letter. Uh, so that was cooked and I didn't even end up going to see the gynecologist because I was actually paranoid that she had got on the phone to them after I'd left and was like, you know, this chick, keep an eye out. Like she's crazy. Fast forward now to 2018. I moved to Sydney because I started good nights and I was required to move there for the program. I had a lot of time up my sleeve. Sydney was a very lonely time. So I had a lot of free time outside of work and I decided 
I'm going to get on top of this because again, my periods were getting really bad. People around the office were noticing it. Like I was just slumped around before I'd go on air with a heat pack, just saving all my energy for my three hour show. So I've. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I find a clinic that I've Googled and I see this doctor who is listening and is so empathetic and is so genuinely concerned with everything that I'm telling her about the pain that I've experienced for the last seven plus years. And she immediately referred me to a gynecologist and we did some scans. The scans didn't pick up anything. Sometimes these scans like an ultrasound and stuff can pick up like deep infiltrating endo, but it doesn't pick, there's like three different forms of endo. Um, so I go see this gynecologist and he is concerned and reckons that, yeah, we should definitely do surgery and see what's going on in there. There was like a five month wait because I didn't have private health and I was like, whatever, I can wait five months. Like surely it's not that urgent. And turns out it actually was pretty urgent. So it come, you know, August, 2018, I get the surgery I come out of it stage four endo, which means it's like really widespread across like my pelvic sidewalls, my bladder, my pouch of Douglas. And the um, gynecologist said, you know, if we'd left it any longer, we would have had to remove like part of your bowel, which is pretty terrifying to hear when you're 27. Like you just don't expect to hear something like that. So yeah, I was officially diagnosed with endo in 2018. I do always get asked about how I'm managing now because I actually have had another surgery since my diagnosis, like June 2020, I had my second surgery. And that was kind of because I was still experiencing I was kind of experiencing a new set of pain and I still believe that it was actually from getting the IUD, the Mirena inserted during my first surgery. So because the gynecologist told me that would prevent endogrowth and I believed him, like I, you know, trusted everything that I was being told. Um, and it wasn't until after uh, my second surgery that I kind of found all this information and was like, oh, that's not true. Okay. Um, that really sucks because the IUD for me personally caused a whole new set of pain, like really frequent flare-ups. Like 2019 was a really debilitating year for me. I really couldn't do much because I just didn't know when I'd be in pain. Turns out um, for a couple of months, my Mirena turned just like sideways in my cervix. So it was literally trying to get out of my body. <laughs> it didn't, it wanted out. <laughs> it didn't want to be there anymore. So I have my second surgery. Oh, I should also mention 2019, I moved back to Melbourne. So I left Sydney and I had to find a new specialist. So I found one in Melbourne and was explaining my stuff. And he was like, you know, I'm, like, I can't really know what's up unless I do surgery. So would you be comfortable doing that? And I was like, oh, I hate the idea of having surgery again because it's a really painful recovery. Like it's not, you know, a lot of them are coined as day procedures, but endosurgeries, you know, you should be staying in for at least one night and the recovery sucks. It's so invasive. Like they're literally making incisions, which the scars are small, but what they're doing inside your body, like they're moving organs around and cutting out a disease. Like 
it's not a gentle surgery. The first one, I had to take like three weeks off work, but I couldn't exercise for like five months without pain. It took a few months to have sex again. Like it was really yuck. But anyway, so we fast forward to June 2020. I have my second surgery. Turns out the first surgery didn't remove all of the disease. So there was leftover endo. So in that second surgery, my specialist was able to remove it. And, you know, to this day, 2023, I don't feel the need to have another surgery. Like my pain hasn't got to that point where I'm like, I need to go get surgery again. The recovery for surgery number two was shit. (laughs) It was better in some ways, but it was a longer recovery. Like I had to take a month off work and it just really fucks with you mentally because you're like, I just want to be like moving about again and when's it going to end? And, you know, surgery isn't like you can have surgery for endo, but it doesn't just remove the symptoms. You still have to manage symptoms. It's just such a complicated thing. But while we're on the topic of surgery, I do want to mention the importance of knowing what kind of surgery you're having. And I didn't know this heading into my first one. There are two ways in which endometriosis is removed. One is called excision. This is what we call the gold standard. This is physically cutting out the disease from the root. And the other one is called ablation, which is burning the tip burning the surface. It's not removing all of the endo. It's leaving the root there. So the the rate of recurrence is higher than what it would be as opposed to getting excision surgery. So I had excision for my first one, but it is worth noting that that surgery was actually performed by people who were training in excision. So my gynecologist supervised the procedure and I was told this And I consented because I was like, "Eh, they're going to learn some way. I was chill about it because I didn't know, you know, everything that I probably should have needed to know about endo. Um, I was just going with the flow. I was like, whatever, like I'll be the guinea pig. They got to learn some way. So, um, but had I known the extent and severity of my endo, which, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? But had I known somehow I would have been like, "Mm, no, I probably would prefer you to do it. um, Gynecologist. (laughs) Um, Because then I probably wouldn't have needed a second surgery, but whatever, can't do anything about it. Had my second surgery and that was excision. And yeah, I mean, I don't know if endo has come back unless I have another surgery, but I don't want to do that. Again, I don't want to have to have another surgery unless I'm in debilitating pain where I feel like I need to do it, but I'm in a pretty good place now. So the only things that really happened to me, like sex can still be kind of painful, bowel movements can still be painful and my period in the lead up it's mainly like the first two days before I bleed and the first day of bleeding that is the worst but my period is regular and it's easy for me to plan ahead so if my period's due next weekend I just block out the weekend I don't do anything you know I just take it easy it's still not to say you know that time comes around and it's still like a shit reminder like "Mm, you know this is a a lifelong thing this is chronic so I'm kind of stuck with it but I just try and navigate it as best as I can. So that's where I am in terms of my pain now. The recent kind of relapse I had was in December. In fact, it was the last week of working at Triple J. I had to call in sick for one of those shows. I didn't get to do the full week um, because I had a hemorrhagic cyst. I think I'm pronouncing that right, hemorrhagic. So what it is, is essentially a blood-filled cyst that bursts. I've had them before. 
It's like a blood bomb. It sucks. I woke up at like 1am and I had this abdominal cramping and I knew that feeling and I was like, this isn't good. I got my heat pack and I just tried to relax, but then woke up again at 4am and it was getting really bad. And this was Oscar's first time kind of witnessing firsthand how bad my endo can kind of be. So he took me to the hospital, St. Vincent's in Fitzroy. I'm going to shout them out because they did treat me really well. Like I didn't have to wait too long in the emergency department and they listened to me and they were empathetic. Did they know who I was? I don't know. The girl who first saw me in the triage, like the triage nurse, uh, she complimented my jumper, which was like an IOU records uh, jumper. So she's obviously a music fan. So from that, I was like, maybe she does know who I am from like working at Triple J. But I was there for hours. I think it was eight hours. I was there for a really long time and morphine wasn't working, endone wasn't working. So I had to get, is it ethanol? No, fentanyl, fentanyl. <laughs> Am I thinking petrol? <laughs> but yeah, it's pretty much just like the cyst burst and it's just, you got to just ride the wave of pain. So that was the last really bad thing that happened in terms of my endo, but right now it's okay. So I know I'm talking a lot about like the physical effects of endo, but it really is so much more than that. And I'll explain why. But first, I want to give a quick shout out to today's sponsor. March is Endometriosis Awareness Month and Dom and Helene from the Spoonie Society know all too well just how shitty this chronic condition can be because it's what led them to starting their own company and create stylish and super effective heat packs to help manage their pain. Operating out of Melbourne, the Spoonie Society have the biggest range of heat packs that are filled with Australian-grown lupins, which means they don't sweat or smell when heated and they can even be used as cold packs. From period pain, lower back aches, and sore shoulders, the Spoonie Society heat packs are the perfect way to treat chronic pain and assist injury recovery on the go. Made for Spoonies by Spoonies. The Spoonie Society also stock a range of amazing books and apparel. You can check out the link to the online store in the show notes of this episode. And don't forget to use discount code BRIDGET15 for 15% off your order. Thank you so much to the Spoonie Society for making today's episode possible. So we don't know what causes endo and we don't have a cure for it either. I want to make a point of the no cure thing because some doctors will say to get pregnant or to have a hysterectomy. Those things aren't cures. There's no cure. So if you come across that, if you encounter that yourself, please go seek the opinion of someone else. Um, I did list the symptoms before, but as I also mentioned, endo has more than a physical effect. Like it can really mess with you mentally because for so many people, their pain is dismissed and they're told that it's normal or to suck it up and they're bouncing between medical professionals. Like it took me 12 years to get my diagnosis. Of course, that is going to mess with me mentally. Like, you know, I feel like I'm weak or I'm a burden or I'm making it all up. I'm crazy. Like this is sadly such a such a common thing for people with endo. And it can also bring about like a huge sense of isolation. Um, you know, you kind of do just keep to yourselves and withdraw from other people because you feel like you're being a burden. And, you know, this plays into social settings too. Like sometimes your pain can prevent you from going out and doing things and you feel like you're missing out. And unfortunately, some people don't understand it and, and it can affect relationships. So uh, there's a lot of shit stuff about this. Like, 
as I mentioned before, 2019 was a really hard year for me. And socially, I just felt like I wasn't doing anything. And um, yeah, fortunately, I'm in a better position now, but I can totally relate to people who have gone through that. Like, I hear you, I see you, it fucking sucks. And Endo Awareness Month can be a really exhausting time too because, you know, there's increased coverage of the condition, but there's also an increased risk of misinformation getting out there. But there is a really strong patient community online and they're doing like everything they can to share the facts. And as I've mentioned so many times, I will link a bunch of good, trusted resources in the show notes of this episode for you to refer to. So where are we at with Endo at the moment, right? Patients are calling for better care and it seems like personally, it seems that organizations globally are more interested in research, which half of me understands like, yes, we want to put research into what could cause endo and how we could cure it and how people respond to things. But I don't think we're going to get a cure anytime soon. So what I keep saying is that I would love more funding invested in training specialists, endometriosis specialists, because right now the access to the right surgery is insufficient and surgery right now is the best thing that we have. That is the best treatment option right now. And unfortunately, regular gynecologists just are not equipped to be doing endometriosis surgeries. Like we need people who are solely dedicated. All they do is endosurgeries. My second surgery was from a guy who just does endosurgeries. He doesn't deal with babies. He just removes endo via excision surgery. Have you heard of people who've had like heaps of surgeries? There are some people with endo who've had five or more surgeries or 10 or more. This is not normal. And again, I'm not shaming those people because it's not their fault, but we cannot normalize that number of surgeries. Like world-renowned specialists in endo, I'm talking endo specialists from America, from India, they will tell you that it should be one surgery done right. And that is via excision. True endo specialists are spending thousands of hours in operating theaters and doing surgery after surgery after surgery. They're not delivering babies at 4 a.m. and then removing endo at 7 a.m. Like that is not the level of care that we should have for removing endometriosis. And this isn't like, I'm not, you know, attacking gynecologists, but the fact of the matter is endo is a whole body disease. So we need people who can specialize in that. It's not just reproductive. Now, excision surgery is the best treatment we have and the best way to diagnose endo, but it is important to recognize that surgery doesn't just magically fix you. Like you don't come out of the operating theater and you're like, I'm fixed, I'm healed, all of my symptoms are gone because these symptoms have built up over years for so many people, right? They don't just suddenly go away. So like after my surgeries, pelvic floor physio was fantastic because my pelvic muscles were freaking gridlock like they were tight I had no connection with them I could not relax them and pelvic physio was amazing to find that connection again to re-establish that connection Um, some people might make diet changes some people might go see a sexologist psychologist is also really important some people try acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine medicinal cannabis multidisciplinary approach is important for endo, okay? But surgery is really key. It should be one surgery done right. And I'm saying that as someone who's had to have two surgeries, hopefully no more, but one surgery done right. That is the dream for everyone with endo. 
And I just don't know why we're not investing in that. Like nothing is being done in Australia to help, you know, put funding in training. The thing is it takes so much more training and I guess people who are, you know, in these fields, like what's the incentive for them? There needs to be better incentives. We need to have more people wanting to do the training and the fellowships to become fully qualified endo specialists. So we need to figure that out. Another thing as well is early education to help reduce a diagnosis delay. So I mentioned earlier, I didn't know about endo in high school. It wasn't covered in my health curriculum, wasn't even in my vocabulary. This needs to change. Endo should be talked about in high schools. There is a really great program called Pep Talk, which is run by the Pelvic Pain Foundation of Australia that is making its way across the country, speaking to high school students. And, you know, if it, that would have been life-changing for me. If I was in year nine and if I learned about endo then, I would have gone to the doctor and be like, I think I might have endometriosis. Probably wouldn't have taken 12 years for my diagnosis. So my priorities as an advocate is better access to excision surgery and creating incentives and more funding and training these specialists and early education so we know about it earlier and we can get a diagnosis quicker. Talking about endo is really exhausting and I know I've taken a step back with it in recent times because I've done so much with it and it's drained me. Um, and this recording's kind of drained me too. Like I'm ready to wrap it up, but I did want to do an episode that people could just fling to others. I know I haven't covered everything. This is literally just a little crash course. It's a nutshell baby, but if you want to dive in deeper, here are my recommended resources for endometriosis. Obviously my book, How to Endo, I spent so much time on that in 2020. It's got fantastic contributions from heaps of people and yeah, it's a really valued resource. I wish I had my book when I was growing up and first experiencing symptoms, like it would have changed my life. So How to Endo is my book. My Instagram page, Endogram. Uh, there are a few other Instagram handles that I want to give you. Endo Girls blog, In 16 Years of Endo, and the Center for Endometriosis Care. The Center for Endometriosis Care is literally a center for endo care in Atlanta, Georgia. And it's amazing. Like we need one in Australia. So they have a great website. They've got a great Instagram account, um, really fantastic information about endo. Like you'll learn so much. Another book that I want to recommend is called Beating Endo and it's by Iris Orbach and Amy Stein. And it was huge for me. Like I reference it so much in my book, How to Endo. So I'd highly recommend checking that out. It's way more detailed than my book. So again, I'll add their links in the show notes of this episode. I hope that helped in understanding endometriosis. I really do. Again, it's so complex and so much more can be said, but I just wanted to give you a crash course. And I want to say a big thanks once again to the Spoonie Society for sponsoring today's episode. You can find a link to their online shop in the show notes as well. And don't forget to use Bridget15 for 15% off your order. Can you tell my voice is going? I need to stop. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Figuring Out 30 is an independent project. It's created on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I'm Bridget Hustwaite. Please like, subscribe, rate, review if you're feeling it. And I'll catch you next week. Bye.
Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 